The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this bonus episode of the Heat Check, draft day is here. So we've got a pair of special guests to help you make some bets and prepare for the chaos that is coming tonight. First is friend of show Bill Ryder, NBA insider. He's host of Ryder Than You on the CBS radio network. He also is on CBS HQ on television. He breaks down the biggest storylines in the biggest NBA week of the year. Then we bring on Jake Madison of the Locked On Pelicans to help break down all the drama that's happening in New Orleans. My co-host on BetMGM tonight, Ryan Horvath, is also here to help facilitate the interviews. Draft day is here, Nick, so let's get a move on and drop that fucking beat that should be Rihanna. We welcome on now Bill Ryder. Follow him on Twitter at SportsWriter, CBS Sports NBA Insider, host of Writer Than You on CBS Sports Radio. So I got to start with the number two overall can pick. I, can I just really quickly before we get into basketball, uh, I just wanted to know whether you bought any new clothes since our last talk. No, so no, yeah, Trisha tried to. So, so here's the thing. Yeah, I know that you want me to do the, the makeover. I got like I got like a, a golf shirt on. I, I did like go to it. the U.S. Looks Open good. Yeah, right. It's all black, so it's you know it's very slimming. Which having met me, you know, is a requirement for for the wardrobe. Uh, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten into it yet, but I've got some advisors. I'm not sure I can pull off the the Miami flair that we were talking about, but I, but mm-hmm. I've got some, I've got some ideas, some upgrades. I, I think you're, uh, I think you're very well dressed. Trista's a little Thank bit you. of a hater. She's a little bit of a hater. What do you mean? I'm just trying to help. Yeah, whatever. All right, is there any chance anybody other than Brandon Miller goes number two and, and Scoot goes number three? Or is that pretty yeah, much look, a lock think, right now? I don't think it's a lock, but I think everything I've heard, I think it's probably 85 or 90%. There are some teams that are that are certainly enamored with Scoot, and I guess, like, theoretically, Charlotte could make some moves to try to indicate that they might trade him and try to, you know, flip that, that pick or change their minds. But I think if you've got a ticket – for Brandon Miller, you're probably feeling no, there's no luck, right? But you're feeling pretty good 24 hours out. Do you feel gun shy at all, given the fact that Woj, the the shill that he is, uh, had uh, Jabari Smith going number one overall? He doubled down, he tripled down, he quadrupled down, and you know what he did? He effed over a lot of betters, and the market kept moving until an hour before when he had to recant that. And then it was Paolo Bancaro going one. And it kind of feels a little bit like that's happening again with this Scoot Brandon Miller thing. So let me give you full disclosure. I don't have, like, remarkable sources in that Charlotte organization. So I don't know 
what they're thinking and I can't evaluate where they're at on their board, I can tell you this, there are a multitude of teams in the NBA, some that draft pretty high, including the team that, that currently drafts three and some of the teams that are talking to them that love Scoot Henderson and think that he is the guy to pick. So is it is it is it theoretically possible that that Mitch Kupchak and company are playing games just to mess with other guys like around the NBA? It, it is like those those things happen as you know, guys. People play their agendas and they play them sometimes through through Woj. I, I saw the markets move. Was it yesterday? I can't remember mm-hmm. when all of a sudden Brandon Miller became yeah. the, the betting favorite, and it was a little surprising to me. My experience is two thirds of the time that means Vegas knows something, and one third of the time. People are getting played. I, I wish I had some insight on it out of Charlotte. I, I don't. I can just tell you there are some really smart GMs, and there are some pretty stupid GMs, if we're being fair, who love Scoot and who think he's the guy and who would make a move if they could to get him if that were feasible. Yeah, we got the news, obviously, before we went on the air that it looks like the Celtics, the Clippers, and the Wizards are going to work on this three-team trade. So KP is going to be going to uh, the Celtics, and then the Clippers are going to land Malcolm Brogdon. Any other? Do you think we see any other trades tomorrow night? Like big names get moved, or do you think that probably comes after the draft? Look, I think like Beal obviously was the big one that was going to happen. There is a look. I don't think we do, but but there's a world where Damian Lillard is part of a move and part of a trade and part of a situation. But everything I understand is that for that to happen, at least in the next 24 hours, Damian Lillard's got to do more than just be willing to be moved. He's got to go into that front office, demand that he's traded, and maybe put some pressure on that front office to go specifically to Miami, which a lot of guys do, a lot of folks do. He doesn't want to do that. He's a pretty loyal guy. I don't think that's the move that that he's got lined up. So the answer to your question, probably not. I think there was probably, a, I don't know, 12% chance two or three days ago Zion Williamson could be traded. And I think that's probably a 1% chance or a half percent chance now. I think that was, that was the move. It was certainly kicked around. They kicked the tires on that. I don't think there'll be major moves, but you said it. it's the draft. Everyone's practicing deception. It's not a great radio answer, but who knows? What do you think of this Kristaps Porzingis trade from a basketball perspective? And what do you think that the, the insight is on where Boston's thinking, uh, where they fall into the East, and what they need? Yeah, I, I'm a little perplexed by it, and I, I suppose I should I, – I don't know. Should I give the benefit of the doubt to Brad Stevens? Makes sense for Washington. They moved on from Bradley Beal. They get a, they get a first-round pick. They get some pieces. Like they're, they're rebuilding. I don't hate it for the Clippers – I think Malcolm Brogdon's one of the most, maybe he's not now sixth man of the year, but I think he's wildly underappreciated. He was a 50-40-90 guy a few years ago. He's a career, I don't know, 43 or 44, 42% three-point shooter. I'm a Brogdon guy. I mean, Porzingis is interesting. Like, he offensively, especially if you go deep, like deep cut on some of the really geeky analytic stats, is excellent. He did play 65 games last year, but that's the most since his second season in 16-17. I know he can block shots too, so... Like, I don't hate the idea of Christoph Porzingis for, for a contender or a would-be contender. I think there's upside there, especially when he's the third or fourth most important guy. But Boston already had Brogdon, different player, but I love what Brogdon brings to the table. They're already, I think, equipped to make a deep run. They were already the favorites. They had a rookie coach who didn't know what he was doing. Presumably that will change with some new additions of the coaching staff and another year under his belt. So, Trista, i, I got to be honest. Like I don't love it. I'm a little perplexed by it. But I suppose you give Brad Stevens a little bit of credit to maybe know what he's doing. And, and it's a weird – it's not like for like, but they're both, I thought, Brogdon and Porzingis, really nice pieces. I like it a lot for D.C., the rebuilding. I like it a lot for the Clippers. And I'm kind of jury's out on what it means for Boston. 
Yeah, moving to D.C. really quickly, just to tail end on that, is obviously Michael Winger, Travis Schlank, Dawkins, they all are committed to the full rebuild. A couple of guys have roots in the OKC system. They like these long, athletic, sort of big passing guards like Josh Giddy. Feels like they might take Anthony Black. Like, Do you have any insight into what they might do at eight? No, I don't. I mean, so I, I know people that are sort of close to those three guys that you mentioned, and, and, and I love that you brought up the Oklahoma City comparison because everything that I've heard is this is a long-term rebuild. Look, we all know who the owner is, right? We know who Ted Leonis is. We understand the lack of patience. He has somehow convinced Michael Winger and that crew you mentioned that they're going to have time. And whether or not he means it or will mean it in a year or two, I think remains to be seen. But they think that they have a long-term process. So whoever they draft, and this is the only insight I have, they feel like they can take projects, they can take their time, they feel like they're going to be able to put together in D.C. an apparatus that actually develops players the way that, as you noted, has happened absolutely in Oklahoma City. And this is going to be a long-term process. That was the case when they came in. It was certainly the case when Beal went away and obviously Porzingis going. This is about not even two years from now. It's three, four, five years from now. They want to be the Thunder of the East. Who's your favorite player in this draft class outside of the top three guys? Honestly, like, and look, guys, I'm not a draft expert, so I can't, I'm not going to be able to give you an an educated answer on that. Like, NBA is what I do. I don't cover, I don't cover college basketball, and I'm not a draft guy. So it's not, it's not an answer to your question. And everything I'm going to tell you is based on what's, what people have told me. And he's a top three guy. That's where my focus is. It's, it's Scoot Henderson outside of, I mean, Webin Yama is a, whatever, he's a game changer. I'm sure you guys have talked about him. He's going to be everything. If he's healthy, I don't know if he's going to be healthy. And he does like Clone Wars as the second, best Star Wars movie of all time, apparently. So that's a, a major a red flag, sort of, Yeah, I know it's a moral <laughs> and ethical red flag. It's a judgment call. <laughs> it's on the level of Zion. But I honestly, like, I have, I don't go deep into the draft. I don't know. I can't answer. I, I just know that, like, the guys, every time I talk to a, a GM or a scout about these sort of things, their answer, and maybe it's dumb, but is, who cares? It's the top three. Like, those are the guys yeah. that matter. And in that context, at least from the people I've talked to, it's Victor one. It's Scoot too, and even aside from the obvious controversy, right? It's 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 Brandon Miller three. Let me ask you the question that I really want to ask you: What's going on right now in Los Angeles? I saw you know you were around with Zach Gelb the other night, one of my buddies, and <laughs> you're hearing some stuff about LeBron James and maybe even Anthony Davis. What do the Lakers look like next year, and what what's going on over there? Ooh, yeah, I blame my buddy Colin Coward for this because like they threw it on <laughs> on the herd, the, the clip. Look, and yeah, good for Zach. Zach's so good at social media. I probably said this 15 times on CBS Sports HQ and on my show. So here's the deal. Here's what I said to Zach. Here's like the very long version condensed. I think nuance matters. LeBron was over Anthony Davis. I don't even remember when. Five, six, seven, eight weeks ago. Maybe it was longer than that. Post-trade deadline, pre that magical run. But even the people that were telling me this told me, and I know this because I've covered LeBron, and this is not a shot at LeBron. I I can be a little wishy-washy too. But one of the sources told me, you know how it goes, Bill. I can tell you something, and it's true. And by the time I tell you, LeBron's already changed his mind, even though it was true the last time I, I checked in with him. LeBron's over Anthony Davis. He All the things we know. I mean, LeBron is, I think, one of the best players of all time. I think he's the best. He's the worst GM of all time. So there was a moment there where, gossip-wise, people in the Lakers organization, we're talking March, right, mid-March, thought he could really push for AD to move on. If they could find the right pieces, if they could bring in somebody else. But I think a few things have changed. One the Western Conference Finals run gives Rob Palenka a ton of leverage, and there's certainly a power dynamic there that has shifted from LeBron runs it and Palenka executes it, or Palenka executes what Jeannie Buss wants, and LeBron has influence there, to I think Palenka's probably feeling himself a little bit. 
And two, I just don't know that there's a bet. I'm not a big AD guy. Yeah. LeBron has a tendency. Like LeBron wanted Spolstra fired 17 games into their Miami Heat tenure. I, I go down the list, right? LeBron wanted J.R. Smith. He was the key. He didn't want Andrew Wiggins. LeBron makes these sort of emotional decisions, and sometimes he changes his mind, sometimes he doesn't. But yes, according to sources, he is not copacetic with Anthony Davis. He doesn't think he's reliable physically or just in terms of bringing that intensity every night. All the things we all saw, LeBron was finally seeing. I don't think it translates to anything, but there's certainly some tension between the guy that calls himself a king and the guy that won't shave his eyebrow. Oh, my goodness gracious. That's insane. Uh, what do you think about this Zion chatter? Uh, do you think there's anything to that? Uh, do you think that's just kind of like right situation and then we move on from him? Do you think we're yeah. kind of like a full off, maybe a full like trade deadline away for them making a move? Yeah, I, I think that I think if New Orleans just talk, this is me talking to people, right? If I, if New Orleans were in a market where they felt like they had a free agency collateral political capital in the, in, in, in the NBA to, to get guys, they might look for value. And they love Scoot Henderson. As I understand it, like the, the Pelicans, David Griffin, it's David Griffin, right? It's Griff. Loves Scoot and thinks they could build around him. But they faced the same dilemma that Portland's faced for years and, and waiting too long to move on from T.J. McCollum and, and obviously Damian Lillard's still there and other, other small markets. They can attract talent to that city. And it's not a shot at New Orleans. It's not a shot at Portland. They're great cities. NBA players don't want to live there. They just don't. I mean, they just... You've had two generational talents in Chris Paul and Anthony Davis be there in the last, whatever, 15, 20 years, and they're not there anymore. And that is, I think, one of the important parts of the framework of the thinking in New Orleans. Zion can't stay on, on, on the floor. He can't stay healthy. But they saw what happened when he played a little bit this past year. If I remember right, guys, they were first in the Western Conference at some point in January. Their upside, their ceiling was amazing when he was on the floor. They can't ever bring a talent like that in. They just, they just can't. So they're probably going to stick with them, even though, as I understand it, and this is what GMs do, right? They have conversations. But there have been some real thought experiments about maybe we should move on from them. Married people sometimes are like, maybe I should divorce my wife or husband. Doesn't mean they're going to do it. But if you have that thought with your buddy over a beer, if you're like, shh, but what do you think? I'm not, that's not great. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah. But I think that's the place they were at with Zion. Uh, really quickly, I just kind of want to discuss Toronto because it feels like the reporting is all coming out saying that Masai Ujiri and that whole camp, that front office is just very difficult to deal with. They want a lot for OG. They want a lot for Pascal. Like, what what is the story there? Is it just like we killed the Kawhi trade and now I want to be Danny Ainge? <laughs> yeah. Look, I think there's a lot going on. Masai is a competitive, successful, driven, ambitious dude who has some self-confidence which is true of every GM in the game other than the success part. And there's obviously jealousy that goes on in the NBA. And I've never met people more catty in my life than general managers. Like you want to get information, it's pulling teeth. You want them to talk smack about one of their colleagues they don't like, and you know who that is, just bring them up and they, they just go. So I'm sure there's some of that. But there are certainly some, there's some raw feelings in Toronto about the fact that Kawhi left, about the fact like they feel like they didn't get the credit for what they pulled off that they thought Nick Nurse was talking smack about their organization while he was the coach, and they obviously moved on from Nick. And it's not the only team that got rid of a guy that had won a championship, or in Monty Williams' case, come close in the last few years. So I think it's a combination of, of yes, I think Masai Ujiri is incredibly good at his job, and like anyone successful in that business, he's not afraid to, to walk around a room. Like, he is really great at his job. There are some jealous GMs, and I think there's just – toxic is not the word. I just think there's a lot of frustrations in Toronto, and they feel like they've been done wrong, and life isn't fair – and it's given an opening to people to maybe accurately, may, maybe exaggerate a little bit 
about what it's like to deal with a very, very frustrated front office. Bill, thanks so much, man. Enjoy the draft tomorrow night. Bill Ryder, writer than you, CBS Sports NBA Insider. We'll talk again soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We've been talking about the NBA draft all week long, and now officially we are 24 hours away. I can't wait to talk about that and more. We welcome on now Jake Madison, host of Locked on Pelicans, not the Packers, Trista, and he's going to be uh, hosting a draft show tomorrow as well. Jake, I'm going to start off with uh, not the NBA draft. I'm a believer still in Zion, and I keep telling Trista, Zion needs a friend right now. He's only 22 years old. I think the ceiling's really high still if he could stay healthy. Any chance the Pelicans move him? Is he going to be on the roster uh, next October, next November, when the season begins, there's a very realistic chance he won't be. And honestly, right now, I don't know which direction this is going to go if he stays or not. But you know, conversations have been had with the Portland Trailblazers about sending Zion there, basically in exchange for Scoot Henderson. This is not about the third pick or just trading up. It's Scoot Henderson, a guy that New Orleans seems to be really sold on. And while there's a lot of talent there in Zion Williamson, this is a guy with MVP level talent, and you need a guy like that to try and win an NBA title. 29 games the past two years has not been a great track record. There's questions about his maturity, what he does in the offseason. He's been in the news for all the wrong reasons the past couple of weeks here. And I think New Orleans might be just a little bit fed up with him right now. Among other things, that's why these trade talks are happening. Yeah, really quickly, just want to say shout out to your Dior ones uh, in the background. If anyone's watching on Twitch, like one of the most fire sneakers of all time. So shout out to you for having that art. Um, I am curious, though, about the fit of Scoot Henderson and C.J. McCollum because Damian Lillard and C.J. just really, like, didn't work from a, like, defensive standpoint. I know Scoot's obviously a much better defender than Dame, but, like, the Scoot become the point guard and C.J. is a undersized two at 6'1", 6'2". Like, how does that fit work and with New Orleans still wanting to remain a defensive, having a defensive identity? Yeah, you know— I don't know if they're as worried about fit if you're looking at this as being maybe a little bit of a reset for this team. If you look at the way they're going now, they're going to run into a salary cap problem in about two years. And we've heard reports that there's no way they keep the core of Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum beyond two years. And at that point, CJ is the odd man out, and yeah. they're going to look to move him. So if you're kind of hitting a mini reset, maybe similar to what Oklahoma City did when they traded Paul George to the Clippers, you get a young player back. They got Shea Gilders Alexander back that you feel you can build around, be competitive and enough without being a title contending team that might be what new orleans is looking to do it alleviates that salary cap problem that you're going to run into in two years and then you just get a guy that you feel can be the franchise cornerstone and that you can believe in i still think they'd be competitive enough now that's not a team that you're looking at that would be you know the fourth seed in the western conference but scoot anderson cj mccollum brandon ingram can at least get you into the playing tournament maybe in as the seventh or eighth seed And i think new orleans knowing they've kind of built a 
little bit more long-term in mind would be okay with something like that. And this team was good defensively last year. You know, Zion Williamson was more bought in than, we, than we've ever seen him before in the 29 games he played on that side of the ball. You have Brandon Ingram, who's improved defensively there. And with so many injuries that they had, they still were the sixth best defense this past season. So I think they view Willie Green's scheme as, you know, a, a model that you can just kind of sub guys in and they'll be okay. But when you're talking about kind of odd man out, yeah, it's CJ McCollum, but I don't think they're as worried about that next season as they would be, say, three years from now. Yeah, that makes sense. Going back to Zion, I just kind of want to get your perspective on why he doesn't have a relationship with his teammates and really hasn't had a great relationship with the team itself, specifically the front office. Is this like all a waterfall effect of the weirdness between him and David Griffin, in your opinion? Yeah, it goes back to his rookie season and it goes back to the torn meniscus he had and he just did not like how they brought him along very slowly. You know, the first game back he played, he hit four straight threes. The Smoothie King Center was like a college atmosphere at that point. And then they took him out of the game and wouldn't let him finish a close game in his pro debut. I think that's the type of thing that has just rubbed him the wrong way ever since. And it's a little bit on David Griffin too for not really being able to make a connection with Zion Williamson. But at the same point, I don't know if Zion Williamson wanted to have that kind of connection, that type of relationship with anyone on the team. I don't think it's right to say he has no relationship with people, but he's certainly not close with his teammates. He's not in their group text, you know, making jokes with them. He does not work out with them for the most part in the offseason when they do, you know, offseason activities away from the training facility. He just kind of does his own thing. Partially, I think that's because he's a superstar level player. You've got endorsements. You know, he was in Paris this last summer for Jordan Brand and different things so it keeps him kind of busy but you'd like him to make more of that effort and you know as much as we're talking about the pelicans trying to trade him they're doing what they can they're restructuring the player performance and care team per christian clark and ola.com reporting on that you know they had aaron nelson brought over from the phoenix suns that was a real big thing they did when david griffin stepped in that's kind of a vaunted name in player care circles in the nba and they're basically pushing him out the door because zion williamson doesn't like working with him that's a big concession i think to your star player trying to appease him but there's only so much you can do if he doesn't want to meet you halfway. And maybe that's also why, you know, he's in the trade rumors here. We know that Zion most likely would prefer to play in New York. Uh, if he was to go to Portland, how do you think he'd feel about that? You know, it depends on maybe how he feels about Damian Lillard. You know, and I think when the Pelicans are looking at this, that they're, they're not too concerned. And this is where a deal might get derailed on this, right? You've got he's under team control for five more years. His extension kicks in. There's no player option at the end of that, you know. He doesn't really have a choice in the matter, I think. And if you're Portland, though, you're weighing that. Is he going to be happy playing here? Is all of the off-court stuff around him enough to kind of call off the deal or maybe make the Pelicans include more in this? So how do you value Zion Williamson and what his desires are if he does want to play in a bigger market? And I think that's where a deal might get derailed. There's going to be breaking points for both sides here, I think. And maybe the price for Scoot Henderson is too rich for the Pelicans and they walk away from it. Or maybe Damian Lillard, who's actively involved in this right looks at the maybe lack of professionalism we should say with Zion Williamson and Dame holds his guys and players on that team to a very high standard and if he doesn't think Zion Williamson's going to reach that everything could kind of fall apart from it so I don't know if Zion would love it I think a change of scenery is something he might like he did go to Portland to rehab the foot injury that kept him out all of last season with Nike's headquarters up there maybe that factors into it a little bit too but 
I don't really think it's up to him at this point. We're talking right now with Jake Madison. You can give him a follow on Twitter. Nola Jake, also uh, host of the Lockdown Pelicans podcast. Who do you think, so would you feel better heading into next season because the Pelicans are the team I bought stock in for the next five years, felt really good two years ago and when Zion was actually healthy, but do you like the fit better if Zion does come back? I mean, obviously it's a big if because he has to stay healthy or do you like the fit better just moving on, bringing in Scoot and kind of like restarting, but with a rookie guard now? You know, I think there's, there's arguments to be made on, on both sides and I go back and forth on this. If, if you trade Zion tonight, tomorrow, you're a worse team next season than you would be otherwise. Yeah. I think they view this team and you can see it's talented. They were first in the Western Conference in December and while you don't win an NBA championship in December, you don't get up there if you're a fluke team either. And Zion was putting up MVP numbers. He was putting up all NBA numbers. You know, he was voted in as an all-star starter for a reason. This team has a pretty high ceiling when he he's healthy. But the question is, when is he going to be healthy? And is this the season that he gets, uh, he puts it all together? And that's a big question. And I am worried about the upcoming salary cap crunch that they're going to be in. The Pelicans are one of two teams in NBA history that has never paid the luxury tax. And I don't know if they're going to do that. So if you're kind of operating with that mindset in there, it's better to reset your cap now, clear cap space, maybe use that to rent it out to teams trying to dump bad contracts in the future with the way the new CBA is coming into play. It's going to dismantle teams at the top after a couple of seasons. New Orleans could be in prime position to take advantage of it. So it's, do you want to win now and maybe go for broke, which is what you would do by keeping Zion, by keeping Brandon Ingram, or do you kind of have to act like a small market and kind of play the long game? So there's pros and cons on both sides. You know, I think ultimately they'll be fine either way. They're going to be competitive eventually. Do they just want to do it sooner or later? How do you feel moving forward with Brandon Ingram? Because, I mean, I know he's 25 years old and Zion's 22, but I was actually kind of surprised to see that the Hornets would prefer Brandon Ingram, or uh, Zion, I should say, over Brandon Ingram. Yeah, you know, when you look at him, he's a good player. He's a very good player. But is he a top 30 guy? You know, he's never gotten votes for an all-NBA team. He's a one-time all-star and went in, I believe, as an injury replacement that year. And there's a little bit of a ceiling, I think, when you look at him. And look at what the Washington Wizards just went through with Bradley Beal and that contract that was kind of an albatross to the point where they got nothing back for him. You're going to have Brandon Ingram coming up for an extension, a new contract in two years, and that's right when that money skyrockets. And are you going to feel comfortable paying Brandon Ingram $65 million in a season? And I think that's something that gets a little bit scary. Part of that sticker shock, right? We're going to see those contracts get into that range, and that's just going to be how it goes with the new TV deals and things like that. I do wonder, though, if you can commit 30 35% of your salary cap to a guy that's not a top 30 player and doesn't, in my opinion, have that potential. And that's not a shot at him. He's very, very good. But also keep in mind, he's only played 60% of the Pelicans games the past two seasons. He missed 29 straight games this past year with a toe injury that was considered less severe than what Desmond Bain went through with the Memphis Grizzlies. That says something. And then when both your star players just aren't out there and available consistently, it's really tough to build and it's really tough to win. And so that's why I also think you've heard maybe the Pelicans are happy, not happy, but willing to move on from him too. But at the same point, the locker room really likes him. You know, you see him at the NBA Finals with Herb Jones and head coach Willie Green. It's gone the past couple of years. He organizes the team workouts in the offseason. There's value to be had in that kind of guy who wants to be in a small market like New Orleans. But I feel just the team thinks we just can't keep going on like this. It's always something. And at a certain point, that just becomes unsustainable. And that's why they're kind of evaluating everything right now. So if the Pelicans do keep the 14th pick and can't get, say, a Scoot Henderson – 
Is yeah. there strategy then rim protection with a guy like Derek Lively? Um, and if if the, it is rim protection and he's not there, uh, what's the backup plan? Yeah, I think he's a guy that's going to be on their draft board. They definitely need a long-term center. They don't close games with Jonas Valanciunas. He's making $15 million. That money can be better spent elsewhere on the roster. He's a guy that could be traded. You know, maybe Derek Lively can come in. He can defend on the perimeter. I think that's a real big thing, too. The Pelicans like to switch defensively. I also think they need to add shooting. If you're going to keep Zion, if you're going to keep Brandon Ingram, you need more shooting around them. They're bringing in James Borrego, former head coach of the Charlotte Hornets, to add more of a motion-based offense. Maybe that means they look at a guy like Jordan Hawkins out of UConn, who's maybe the best movement shooter in the league. You can see him coming down off pin downs, catching the ball on the three-point line, launching it. They also need scoring off the bench. This was a bad half-court team. That could mean a guy like Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan, Keontae George out of Baylor. I think they're going to kind of target a perimeter player that's just kind of lightning in a bottle that can get you some buckets that also has three-point shooting i also don't know if lively's going to be there at 14 it sounds like he might go in the top 10 i think yeah that's really interesting if in your opinion what player falls out of the lottery that you think ends up being the most impact nba player long term it's a good question. You know, I, I'm pretty big on Wallace out of Kentucky. He reminds me a lot of Drew Holiday, someone I watched here in New Orleans, you know, an all-defensive guy that defends bigger than he actually is. I've seen him kind of go all over the place in some of these mock drafts. I've seen him mock pretty high. I just don't feel he's actually going to do that. And you can almost look at him a little bit like a Tyrese Maxey kind of player. He went in the 20s, I think, and has made an impact for the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, in a number of big games in the playoffs, too. And you look at those type of players that just really did it like that in college, and I feel pretty good about them. He's a guy that I could see making an impact if he doesn't end up going in the lottery. Oh, really quick. We got like 60 seconds. What do you think the ceiling is for a guy like Trey Murphy, who averaged 14 points per <laughs> so game good. last year on 40% shooting from three-point range? Like, I'd, I'd be, I'm almost more excited for him than Brandon Ingram next year, to be honest with you. I think he's untouchable. I think he's untouchable for the New Orleans Pelicans. They were so high on him at that in that draft. They wanted to take him at 10, knew they couldn't do that, managed to get him at 17. He had 11 threes against Portland, 11 threes against the Los Angeles Clippers. A dude who's 6'10", he's still growing, that gives you that kind of shooting and that type of positional versatility. There's a pretty high ceiling for a player like that. Jake, thanks so much, man. You're the man. Enjoy Good the stuff, draft man. tomorrow night. Go Pelicans for the next five to six years, preferably. Thanks so much. Enjoy the draft tomorrow. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Jake Madison right there, host of Locked on Pelicans. Give him a follow on Twitter, Nola Jake. That was a really with him for a couple years now. Really insightful commentary from him on the Pelicans. You really think they're gonna move Zion tomorrow night? I don't. I don't I because don't I don't think Portland we'll I do don't it. think Portland would do it. I would let's talk about this. Yeah, because let's talk I about would it. do this. I mean, we got in about five minutes, we're going to talk some golf with Pam. Uh, but then we're going to talk about this because I would do that in a heartbeat. Would you really? Yeah, man. I mean, I've seen the Scoot highlights and I've seen the G League Ignite tape, but like, it's Zion. And uh, other than injury and his weight, what do we really worry about with Zion? You know, in fact, he likes to have a little fun off the court. Who wouldn't? That's all the time that we have for this bonus episode of the Heat Check. Many thanks to Bill Ryder and Jake Madison. Along with my BetMGM Tonight co-host Ryan Horvath and producer Scott Lynn. NBA Draft Day is here. It is tonight. Check the feed. I will be giving my Draft Day reactions, and I put a lot of money. I'm talking about a lot of money on the draft. There's going to be reactions, more bonus episodes than you can even think about. Fun stuff. Do not forget to download. Subscribe. Can you tell I'm excited? Do not forget to download, subscribe, tell all your friends, every single one of them, every single one of them, and follow us, please, on social, at this heat check.
Trista Crick on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. You know it, and we'll see you next time.